What if I told you you could have a tax filing expert be your co-pilot for free? Sounds good, right? When you file with Tax Act, you'll get expert assistance from a real person, and it's free with all returns. They'll answer your questions and even help you with a quick review before you file. But a good thing doesn't last forever. You must file by April 7th to take advantage of this incredible offer. So hurry to taxact.com where you file for less and get more. Restrictions apply. See taxact.com for details. You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. Hey guys, it's Nick. I hope everyone is doing well and having a great holiday season thus far. Joining us today on the Finding Center podcast, it's Joe Hawley. Joe is a former center in the NFL. He played for the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Following his playing career and heading into retirement, Joe did something few people are willing or able to do. He donated his worldly possessions to a foundation in Tampa Bay, which was the last city that he played in. He then bought a van, adopted a dog named Freedom, and he hit the road in search of his purpose in the world after football. In his first year out of the NFL, he toured the country in the van, connecting with himself and the people around him. He started a blog and a YouTube channel, and he began inspiring folks to begin their own unique journeys. Following a year on the road, Joe has found himself based out of Austin, Texas, and has been transitioning into finding ways to create opportunities to be of service. I can't wait to see what he has in store for us. In this podcast, we talk about Joe's unique path through and out of the National Football League. He takes us through some incredibly tense moments in his career and talks us through his mindset and actions that allowed him to win position battles and persevere through some serious adversity. Wait till you hear how brave Joe was in a meeting with the GM and head coach of a national football team. I don't know many guys that I played with. I don't know if I would have had that kind of gall in a meeting. Pretty impressive stuff. One thing that is hard for all of us is to know when it's time to leave the game, whatever that game may be. How do you really know when enough is enough? There are lots of components to go into that word enough. I'm talking mental, physical, spiritual, financial. They all factor in in a way. Joe helps us understand his decision to leave the game after eight seasons and offers other insights that go far beyond the scope of football. I think you're going to find Joe refreshing, intelligent, very wise, inspiring, and incredibly brave. I'm really happy to call Joe Hawley a friend. Follow him on Instagram at joe.hawley, H-A-W-L-E-Y, or on his Facebook and YouTube pages at manvandogblog. I hope you enjoy the time with Joe as much as I did. Okay, here we go. Joining us now on the Finding Center podcast is Joe Hawley. Joe, thank you for the time. Great to see you again. How are you, brother? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk to a fellow center. Uh, no on kidding. A Finding Center podcast. Let's go. How about that? As centers, we all have like a weird connection, don't we? I think so. I mean, we just connected for the first time, what, like a month ago? It was maybe a month ago. Yeah, six weeks ago, and just instantly hit it off. 
and then we had our first date like two weeks ago or maybe three weeks yeah, ago three now. Yeah, three weeks ago. What an experience that was, huh? How about that? So we jumped out of an airplane for – it was a charity event called Operation Jump 22. They ended up, by the way, raising – I don't know if you saw this – 38000 bucks wow. for merging vets and players. So oh, that's amazing. Super cool on that. And then we got to have a great time doing it. Yeah, I never jumped out of an airplane before and – I just wanted to grab coffee with you. <laughs> and you're like, actually, I'm kind of busy. What do you think about jumping out of an airplane? I guess and I was like four days before. I hadn't, didn't have time to prepare. <laughs> like, let's do this thing. So I learned how to sucker people into things like that from the guy who suckered me into agreeing <laughs> to jump out of the plane. So it was Nate Boyer who works for Merging Vets and Players. And he's been my buddy. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with him a couple years ago. And Nate texts me and he's like, hey, what are you doing on this day? And I was like, oh, nothing, bro. What's going on? And he's like, want to jump out of a plane? And I was like, well, he can't. Right? Actually, I had something else. Yeah. Oh, my wife tell me I can't do that any longer. So I kind of did. You're like, hey, want to get together for some coffee? And it's like, uh, so good. You've got time. Do you want to jump out of an airplane? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Well, I'm glad to have earned a second date with you. What did you get out of that experience other than oh. just a cheap thrill? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been thinking about jumping you know, for a while, but it's always this big kind of fear block. And, you know, I've been over the last year and a half all about getting outside my comfort zone, learning, growing as much as I can and conquering my fears. And, you know, what better way than to really, you know, surrender to (laughs) just jumping out of an airplane and, you know, flying up there and having the opportunity kind of just come to me. I felt like it was the universe kind of like, hey, here you go. Here's another opportunity to conquer your fears. And so we did it. And, um, yeah, it was definitely... It was wild, like feeling the fear come up while we were flying up. And just, I remember telling myself, like, just bring awareness to this. Like, don't be overcome by the fear. Like, enjoy the experience because you're going to jump out of the plane no matter what. Yeah. You're going you're to do you're this. You're going. You're going. So just enjoy it. And I remember being very present for it. And then, you know, when you finally jump out and just release, it's like the craziest experience so, ever. So your kind of calming mechanism was really self-talk. Like, hey, self-talk. hey you're doing this, dude. Let's yeah. go for it. Yeah, I mean, and I started relax uh, and enjoy. I started meditating like probably five years ago. Okay, and so, you know, especially over the last year, I'm really trying to um, take my meditation practice to the next level. It's something I do every day, and so I was really proud of myself bringing awareness to the feelings and not being overcome by them. And so, trying to be present for the experience rather than getting lost in my thoughts of fear, like knowing that the fear response, you know, if I label it as fear, then that's one thing. I can also label it as excitement. It's the physical feeling that I'm feeling coming up is just adrenaline, right? It's yes. how I label that feeling. And so being able to not be overcome by the fear, but label it as excitement and reframe it and know that this is going to be an amazing experience. It's jumping and leaping into the unknown, which I'm kind of addicted to now. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about all the crazy experiences I've experienced over the last year and a half. But yeah, I mean, it's just another opportunity. And, um, you know, when you first jump out, that free fall for the first 10 seconds is just something else but then it's wild because it's not like the free fall you free fall for a minute yes but it's only like the first 10 seconds when your kind of stomach goes up in your throat and you're like oh, oh. and then all of a sudden you're just it like goes away and you're just there and you're just like whoa yeah you're just kind of you are you're, you're flying you're flying you're just yeah. there there's like the feeling goes it doesn't away feel you're like just, you're falling any longer exactly and it's so crazy you're just like whoa and then you like just i mean i can see how people do it to like kind of hack into flow state oh yes because you're just there in the sky in nature like completely present with like flying and it's it's a wild experience so you started meditating five years ago yeah how'd you get into it um you know, i started reading um books and i wanted to be um 
proactive with all this, you know, brain trauma that they're yes. talking about with football. And, you know, it is kind of scary to think about. And so I figured even if I don't have symptoms, like it's, there's something happened. I've hit my head plenty of times. So uh, I wanted to be proactive, right? <laughs> you and made so I, a living hitting your head against things. Yeah, Correct. And yeah, there's some times thinking back on it, it's like, I shouldn't have been leading with my head as much. Um, but I was a smaller, but that's the thing guy. about being the center. So I went and got an EEG yeah. and underwent a brain treatment. I have a good podcast with the doctor who developed this treatment for it. But the thing that stood out to me from the experience, at least initially was on the EEG, cause you're right-handed. So mm-hmm. you're snapping with your right hand. I don't think there's any left-handed centers in the NFL. That's interesting right now. I don't think there are, you look that I, up? I don't know. I, I can't honestly remember because that'd be weird for the quarterback, a left-handed too, right? center. I think it would, a left-handed center would work with a left-handed quarterback probably better, yeah. uh, maybe perhaps. But the scan showed all the damage was on my right side yeah. where I was snapping the ball back. So yeah, that became your de facto hand, right, when totally. you're blocking a guy. Yeah, because you're vulnerable there. right there because the, your mm-hmm. hand's underneath your, you know. Exactly right. So wow. when I was thinking about that, when I immediately saw the EEG, I wanted to send it to the NFL and go, hey, can you reinforce the neutral zone again? <laughs> yeah. Because look at this scan, right? Yeah. Like I can't pro- – you physically cannot protect your right side yeah. of the brain if you're a center. It's yeah. just not possible. Yeah, it's wild. So it's right there. That's very interesting. So what, the, back to the meditation, mm-hmm. you got into it five years ago. What, yeah. what, uh, who got you started? Where did you begin? Um. So I read a couple books, learned about it, and I saw like what really kind of because meditation is a hard practice to really commit to because it it's hard to see the results, and it takes almost sometimes years. Like I'm, I still learn new things. I've been doing it for five years and I'm still uncovering. It's like an onion, right? And it's just you keep peeling back these layers and keep going deeper and deeper. How long of a daily practice? I try to go twenty to forty minutes every day. Okay, and then throughout the day, like I'm starting to, if I have like a stressful day or, you know, I'm about to do something that is going to take a lot of energy. I try to center myself for, you know, five minutes before, um, connecting with the breath, like That's any, really anything important. can become a meditation, right? Yes. It's not necessarily about, you know, taking time out of the day. Like even just taking one conscious breath is a meditation. It just brings you back to being present and aware of the, of the moment. Cause you know, we get involved in our mind so much and the monkey mind and it keeps racing and you know, projecting the future or worried about the past. And like, that's not real. That's just, you know, an illusion. And the only thing that's really real is being present right now. Um, so I've learned a lot. When I first got into it, it was really hard to stick with it because, you know, when you first sit down, I hear this from a lot of people who start meditating. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't do it right because my mind's racing. And I'm like, okay, your awareness of your mind racing, that's it. Like, right. That's it. That's what you're trying to do. And, by bringing words and it's hard because you like realize how crazy your mind is and it's it's scary you're like whoa like and then you just, you can't control it and your thoughts are kind of all over the place and you're like what is going on in there and it's not necessarily about controlling your thoughts it's about bringing awareness to your thoughts and creating separation and realizing that you are not your thoughts your thoughts are going to happen not attached to them um and like you know let them go it's almost creating like a third person mm. type narrative yeah, where you observer. see your yeah you're the observer you see your thoughts you see your emotions you see your feelings you mm. see the adrenaline when you're yeah. going up in an airplane about to launch out and you go okay that's my body's reacting but i don't have to react to that reaction mm. and then you like honor it and let it like kind of take its course instead of attaching to it and then yeah you become the experiencer of the experiencing that you're having in this life. And it really starts to become enjoyable. 
yeah, when you honor those feelings and those emotions, and sometimes they're associated negatively, mm-hmm. they a lot of times they go away. Yeah. Right, totally. like you, you look at them and you go, okay, that's happening. I'm nervous right now. I do this sometimes in the morning news. Like I'll go and they'll have the script up and I'll get a little off or whatever. And it's like, oh, I just got nervous right there. And then when I like recognize internally as I'm still reading the news that I'm nervous, then it just kind of goes away. Yeah. It, just by simply going, oh, I identified you. You're nervous. Yeah. Okay, stop being – and you don't even have to say stop. It's just – it kind of dissolves. It dissolves, yeah. That emotion dissolves. Yeah, it's beautiful. So what have you been up to since that day? That was a great day, by the way. Thank uh, you for that. That was that was one of the, me, that man. was like a, a great friend first date. That was totally. And we had not we talked for what a few minutes after the NFL Bridge to Success program, the that transition program they put on, and yeah. then I wanted to connect with you more. And we got to ride in the car for forty minutes there and back, and really got deep and connected. I feel like I've known you forever, man. Exactly. Yeah, we spent a ton of time. I guess that's well, the I know center the, thing. I know the post Joe. I know the post football Joe. Sure. Yeah, I'd be interested What's, to know more about your career and like what you were like like playing against and if you were like. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like? Do you feel like it was a a different life? I, mean, I you, feel it, like it was lifetimes ago. I do too. When I look at it, it's kind of the same thing as the meditation. It's like, yeah, that happened, but it doesn't feel like me. Mm. It, it doesn't really feel like I was the one who did that. It, it happened and I know it was in this body, but like, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I went to a game list last a couple of weeks ago in Mexico city. And I was like, I, I don't feel like I could have ever done that. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It totally I've wild. I've grown right? and changed and learned so much about myself and who I am. And yeah, football is just a different, I mean, it's hard. It's oh my God. So is it hard? hard. And stressful and it's hard on the body and it's but I mean I think having all those experiences that football kind of put us through it really transfers over into like the work on the self like the meditation practices and like creating that strong mental fortitude to be able to do that kind of work it really transfers over because the ability for us to push ourselves and our bodies past the breaking point is such a mental practice right yes. and most people don't know what that's like to wake up so sore like don't even want to get out of bed like oh. you barely move your body and then you got to get up and go do it again and, and play again. a thursday night football game thursday night game like yeah. again and again and back to back to back injuries like you got to push through it it's like crazy D- don't you wish you could take a civilian and just put them in an nfl body for a season <laughs> and like take them from their normal healthy selves take like a, a normal healthy yeah. individual and then put them in the way you felt mid-season yeah. or at the end of a season yeah that would be an eye-opening experience i bet for him I, the best is when people ask me like did you want to play football your whole life it's like no like you can't just wake up when you're 30 and be like yeah like i want to go be a professional football player i do want to do that yeah like it's just it's like such a process to get there and you have to really like commit yourself from at least high school and it's a process i mean there's yeah. only a handful of guys that like played basketball and to at least be started in that vector like yeah. you have to be Committed in the sports vector, right? Yeah. And that's a big – so this is now your second season out. Yeah. Where do you feel like you're at in the transition process? Um, I am – so my, I mean, my story is when I first got done, um, I played for eight years and in 2017, um, you know, my, my career is coming to an end. I, you know, probably could have kept playing, but my body was beat up. My knees hurt, my shoulders, my neck, got a bulging disc in my neck. And it was a couple of years in the making. Like, you know, how, many, like how many surgeries? You have a bunch of I them? have ACL, MCL reconstruction on my right knee, and that's the only real surgery I've had. Okay. Um, but that's serious. Yeah, that that's was a, a really serious, serious one. one. And it was funny like how the body works ever since that 
surgery, like my body has been breaking down at a rapid pace because it's trying to like, you know, make up for the imbalance and stuff. Um, you start to feel it in your hips and your back and hips back my left knee. I mean, I, I dislocated my left kneecap twice in one season, like four weeks apart. I got a bulging disc in my neck from benching, which I didn't even bench like my last couple of years. So like my strength is deteriorating. My body's just falling apart. <laughs> you were just holding it together with duct tape. Yeah, man. And it was crazy. And, um, you know, it's funny. I feel like if you ask any football player in like week 10 or 11, it's like, hey, like how much longer do you want to play? They're like, I don't know. This might be it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Then, even even in the second year. It's yeah, like, second year. Oh, like, I don't know how much longer I want to do this. And the off season comes, you know, and we have a few months off and it takes about a, you know, three, four weeks to even like start getting the body back and then you start you know working out again and you're like ah, like i might be able to do this again like it's all right you know you start getting your body back but like middle of the season like nobody's like yeah i want to go play 10 more years it's like oh man this is hard let's keep this party going yeah that's never been said did you get into a depression after seasons i always and i still do like even after the season kind of wraps up i'm not even playing this is my fifth year out now but I know that the storm's coming. I would get into like a funk two, three weeks where it's just a cloud over the top of me and I'm kind of mopey for that time. And I guess maybe that's resultant of having never won the big trophy or yeah. like the chemical letdown of having to be so high and mm. not like not chemically high, but like be up all the time yeah. and working out and coming in and screw the pain and we got to push through and then after that there's just like there's nothing yeah and you're basically free to roam for the next several months yeah and then all your teammates usually go back to where they're going and so you kind of lose that community aspect and you're kind of just left like disappointed <laughs> yeah I and mean, your body's be- broken down you're just like what am, like, and what lonely. Am I lonely you don't even know what to do you can't even days. get off the couch because your body hurts so bad <laughs> and you're just like what am i doing yeah totally what big takeaways from the career like some oh. of your some of your best moments, some of your worst moments, biggest takeaways. Oh man, I learned so much. It's like, you know, going into the real world now and like looking at my football career as a whole and like all the things it taught me. It's like such a microcosm for life. Like even just, you know, as a career, as a season to season, as even during a game, like you have these highs and lows during a game and like having to navigate that is just like life, right? Like something might hit you in the face and you know, something bad happens and having to navigate it mentally and overcome adversity. Um, you know, there's just so many lessons that football provided. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I transferred to life is just trusting the process. And, um, you know, I had, I had an up and down career. Like I, I was a guy that had to scratch and claw for everything I got. I was always an undersized lineman. Um, you know, when I got to Atlanta, um, my second year I played guard at a position. I was an undersized guard. And then I was waiting for Todd McClure who had been playing like That's 13 right. or 14 years at the time. He was supposed to retire. He was supposed to retire for like five years straight. Yeah. And they kept bringing and him back <laughs> and they drafted me to replace him. And he was kept playing, kept playing. And then finally his contract was up. So they're literally like not going to sign him back. And like, I was going into that off season, like, okay, this is my time. Like I'm going to take over center, my natural position. I'm going to have my own 15 year career. Right. right. Like that's how the mindset works. And, that year in the offseason, they ended up drafting the number one center in the draft with our first pick, and they signed Todd back. Oh, God. <clears throat> so I went from starting at right guard to my third year not even dressing and barely making the team. And I was like in this mindset of like, you know, woe is me mentality, victim mentality. I was pointing the fingers like my coach didn't like me. My strength coach was kind of an asshole. 
Um, he was an asshole, but he like, <laughs> but I was I was blaming others for right. where I was at, and I wasn't taking responsibility. I learned very quickly that in the NFL, if you don't go in there with yourself in mind and trying to get better than you were the day before every day, that they'll replace you like that. And there's always somebody else looking for your job. And so it was this eye-opening experience. And actually, my third year, I kind of was like in this kind of depression. I didn't dress. I was drinking a lot. I was going home like just blaming others. Like, why am I not getting my opportunity? Like, I'm better than that guy they drafted. You know, Todd's like kind of old now. Like, what what's going on? And finally, like came to a head my – like literally we were 13 and three that year about to be the number one seed going to the playoffs. And they called me up Christmas Eve. I'll never forget this called me up into the office and I knew what was happening. Like they're going to cut me. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe this happening. And it was the moment when I was sitting across from the GM and the head coach and they're like, you know, Joe, we're going to release you. And I was just flooded with this like deep regret. And I was like the first time in my whole career, I was like, damn, like I'm going to be on the streets without a job and it's not going to be like all these people I'm blaming that they're not giving me a chance. They're just going to continue on with their lives, trying to make their dreams come true. And I want to be sitting on the couch just filled with regret because I know I could have given more and I could have worked harder. And at that moment, I was like, I'd never want to feel like this again. And I ended up um, basically speaking my truth. And I like for the first time, like stood up for myself to these guys. And they had brought in another guy to, in that meeting. In that meeting, I was wow. like, you know what? I'm going out on the streets. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I, how I feel. I'm going out with a bang. I'm going out with a bang. And basically, they brought in another guy off of another team's practice squad, and um, he had a couple good weeks. But you, you know, like week thirteen and fourteen and fifteen of the season, yeah. practices aren't hard. You know, like all the starters are worn out, so like you know, there's, it's not very physical. Like the pads are off. Right. Like we're doing one on one. A lot of brother in law. A lot of brother in law, and yeah. it's okay because you know there's there's only a certain amount of numbers. So the starters are you're going to rest starters, and then the scout team's not going to like beat up on the starters. So it's just like this. You just got to get the the mindset right. And so this, they brought this kid in that, you know, we're not even pads on. He's, like, locking people down on one-on-ones and, like, doing all these things. So, like, yeah, this kid's good. And I, like, look at him. I'm, like, I basically explain, like, this, this guy. I basically, this, this one question came to mind. I said, if Todd gets hurt, we're the number one seed in the playoffs. If Todd gets hurt on Sunday in the first round, would you trust this guy to go in there and play? Or would you trust me to go in there and play? And they, like, looked at each other for a second. They're like, you know, I guess we're going to have to trust the other guy. And I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. Like, and they're like, you know, if you pass waivers, we'd like to bring you back uh, on the practice squad. And I was like, I'm not passing waivers. I was like, someone's claiming me. I was like, I'm a good football player. And I like, walked out, went through the whole cup process, signed out, did my exit physical, gave all my equipment back to the equipment staff, and I was signing my final papers with, like, the financial guy. And I get a phone call from the GM, and he's like, hey, Joe, I come back in the office. We want to talk to you. So I go back in there. And they're like, we thought about what you said, and we're going to end up keeping you as the 53rd man and give you a chance to compete next year. And uh, if you if you want to, like, we don't want it to be like weird that we try. I was like, no, like. And at that moment, I like promised myself. I was like, no matter what, I'm not going to look for anybody else to give me an opportunity. I'm going to make sure I work hard and do everything I can because I know at some point I'm going to get cut again, or I'm not going to be playing, and I'm going to be on the streets like I am now. But it's not going to be because I didn't give it my all, and I just never wanted to be filled with that regret again. And that was like such a turning point in my career. Wow. And ended up playing another five years after that and started another 40 games and worked my way back up. And actually that first round of the playoffs, I, like I didn't dress all year. And that first round of the playoffs, I was the one dressing and backing up Todd for the first two rounds until we lost to the 49ers, I think, in the, in the NFC Championship game. Oh, that game. is awesome. And yeah. did you, from that moment, did you make changes? Yeah. I, I like That whole offseason, I like focused, went in. I wasn't like – I did extra. I was like, if our strength coach was like, Hey Joe, like get out of here. Like we don't, you know, kind of being an asshole. Like he was like, 
was like, no, like I'm, I'm doing me. Like I'm going to be in here doing extra. Like I, I wasn't waiting for someone else to tell me or like give you the program. Give me the program. I was like, I'm doing what I need to do to be here. Cause I know that I, st- I realized at that moment, like this career, there's so much change and fluidity with coaches and I mean, a head coach and a whole staff could get fired in tears. And if you're not doing stuff to make yourself better, then you're going to be on the streets quickly and they're, you're so replaceable. So I was like, not going to listen to anybody else. I was like, I'm not wait. Like, this is me. Like, I'm going to do what I have to do to work hard. And I had a really good off season that year. And it was Todd finally retired and it was between me and this top draft pick. And I was, I was like, this is my opportunity. Like me and him competing. And they told me I was going to be competing. I went into training camp and I outplayed him. Was like, that the kid from Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. And I outplayed him. Like I, I was having a really good training camp. I was working with the twos and like, I was like, I'm coming for him, I'm coming for him. And like, as training camp went on, everybody was like, Joe, like, why aren't you in there with like every, like everybody like was coming up to me. Like you, you're playing so much better. Like you're a solid leader. Like you got all these like things going on. Like, why aren't you in there? I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to keep my head down, keep working. And week one came and it was like an open competition. Even the media was talking about it. And nobody came up to me on the coaching staff was like, Hey, like, you know, we're going to go decided to go with the other guy or, you know, we're going to go with you or you worked hard. It was just like when in week one, he was the starter. I was the backup and nothing was said. And I was just like, what? And it was like another opportunity, another lesson where I could have, you know, kind of been like, well, this, you know, start blaming others and been like, well, it's not, they don't like me. They're not giving me an opportunity. I was like, no. So I'm just going to keep showing up, doing the work, keep my head down. And this is my fourth year and I was going into free agency. And so I was like, because my career in Atlanta has been up and down, up and down. I was like, I can't wait to get out of here and start fresh with another team. Like, I'm going to be a free agent. I just got to keep working, keep working. And we had ended up having a down year that year. And by week nine or ten, um, the starting center wasn't playing that well. And they like, came in. They're like, Joe, we're going to give you a chance. And so I had like five or six games to like prove what I had before I hit free agency. I was like, yes. Like, this is what I'm waiting for. And I balled out. I balled out. Went and I was like, I'm going to ball out for these last couple games and then go start somewhere fresh. And um, wasn't going to come back to Atlanta. And so free agency came around. Like, long story short, I ended up getting a few teams interested in me. I was going to get on a plane to go to uh, Indianapolis, and they were really interested in me. And the Falcons didn't really offer me any kind of deal, any extension. They're like, all right, like, we're going to see what happens. And it wasn't until they found out that other teams were interested in me that they're like, oh, shit, like, we don't want to lose them. And then they, like, finally had value in their eyes. And so they ended up paying me uh, a two-year, $6 million deal, which was like, for me, it was like, Yes, like Huge. I finally got it, and I I probably could have yeah, got from what you came from and scrapping. Yeah. And they offered me like a minimum deal right after the season because you know before you hit free agency, like the only team you can talk to is that right. team you're with. And so they offered me like a fifty thousand dollars signing bonus, like we'll give you a minimum. And I was like, no, <laughs> kick rocks, like, get out of here! Like, are you kidding me? I was like, I'm gonna go do this. And so they didn't talk to me until literally the night before free agency. I was gonna be on a plane the first thing, like the morning free agency started, which was a big surprise to me because I was like a kind of like a third or fourth tier kind of guy. It wasn't one of these big money guys that was going to get signed. But being on a plane the first day, they're like, obviously, Indianapolis valued me and the Falcons found out. And then they're like, oh, crap. And they kind of freaked out and threw all this money. It's crazy how that works with free agency. Like, it just takes one team to all of a sudden just inflate these contracts. And you see that all the time every year. Um, so I ended up going back to Atlanta and that my fifth year. And I finally became the starter my fifth year starting center i worked my training camp like i was the guy took me all this time to finally be the guy and week four blew my knee out acl mcl out for the season and i was like damn and it was just another lesson like okay like pick myself up like how do i come back from this just show up every day get the surgery and just keep working and then i came back the following year Um, my knee wasn't quite right ended up getting cut and they waited till all the rosters were set you know 
last strategic late cut. Yeah, yeah. Last season, last game of the preseason, fourth or that Thursday usually for every team, and then the you know Friday and Saturday they make all the final cuts. So we had a Monday night game week one, and so they called me Sunday night and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna go with this other guy as the starting center. You're gonna be the backup." And I was like, "Like I've been through this before." I was like, and my knee wasn't right, and I had a couple bad days in training camp, and it was an 11 month recovery, and at this point it was like only nine or ten months. So like my knee wasn't. It was like 80, 85%. And they saw it. Like, we're gonna, I was like, okay, it's fine. Like, my knee's not 100% yet. A few weeks, this guy's not going to play that well. They're going to see me getting healthier and they're going to put me in there. I'm fine. So we go in Mondays, like an extra day, workout day, do the whole workout. Like, head coach is there. He's like, yeah, Joe, like, I'm showing up. Like, I'm doing it. Like, I'm here. Like, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm just going to keep working hard. And I end up going back home and I get a call. Like, hey, coach wants to see you bring your playbook. And I'm like, what? So I had to drive all the way up Flowery Branch, like 40 minute drive, and end up cutting me all the rosters are set. So I'm like, there's no opportunities. Yeah. And that's when, uh, Dirk, it's like who, musical chairs, musical chairs and yeah. all filled. And then my agent's like, you know what? Someone always gets hurt. Like, it's fine. Be patient. We'll get an opportunity. And, um, uh, that's when Dirk Cutter, who was the OC in, in Atlanta, that whole coaching staff got fired that year. He went to Tampa Bay and he ended up, um, calling me. He said, Hey, we need, we need a, a lineman, like a backup guy that can play center guard. Cause right now we have to dress eight linemen, which, you know, like, that takes a spot away from another special teams guy. They rather dress so seven ridiculous. guys, right? Because they had a guy that seven could, is so dangerous too. But I know I've, yeah. well, we we had some issues, yeah. concussion issues one year that playing really, tight end to tackle really got a guy hurt because he couldn't come out of the game after a concussion. It was yeah, not, not safe. Open the rosters. Up. I know. What are we doing? Open the rosters. Up. I know. Just why? Why is that? It's just it's, it's, uh, that's what I found with the NFL. Is there's so many things. It's like why do we do it like this? It's yeah, like, no, it's just the way it's, it's always been it's done. The way it's been done. I think a decent amount of it has to do with gambling, actually. Really? Yeah, I think they don't have everybody who could potentially play the 53-man. I don't think they have them all active because they need to know from a gambling standpoint to be able to set the line who is going to legitimately play and who's not going to play. Wow. Because if guys were hurt on the 53-man, but they're not going to put them on the practice squad. it makes it more. Yeah, so it narrows it down. So then the gamblers or the the bookies can set the line, Mm. which is kind of a conspiracy theory type thing. Totally. So anyway, you go to Tampa Bay. So I go to Tampa Bay, end up, um, you know, my my starting money that my contract, so in the NFL, the contract's not guaranteed. So I only made half that contract. So I'm still – you know, not set. I'm kind of like wondering what I'm going to do. So I end up going week two after all the rosters are set. They're like, we're going to bring you in week two. And I end up signing like a minimum deal with all these incentives, right? So to make as much money as I was making in Atlanta, I had to play at least 90% of the games, which is like a long shot. So I go in there week two, get there Wednesday. Luckily, I know the playbook because it's the same offense coordinator. But same one. as you know, the O-line calls are different, right? Because it's yeah, a different O-line coach. Depending on the coach, yeah. And so I know like the schematics and like I, I refresh. But because I just learned a whole new playbook, I learned Shanahan came in that year and I had to learn all the zone schemes. So I had to kind of like flush that out in a couple of days and kind of recall all Getting this. rid of a filter, basically. Yeah. and It's, it's like a language filter that totally, you have to shed. Totally. And so I, I spent like, you know, every night studying – and then Sunday came, and they're you know, Saturday, and they're like, "Hey, are you gonna? Is your knee good enough? Can you be the backup for the the Sunday?" And it was against New Orleans in in New Orleans, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I got this, I got this." So I ended up backing up, and the first play of the second half, the starting center rolls his ankle, and so I go out there, and I don't even know some of my teammates' names. I don't know these calls. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, like I just thrust it in here. Like Jameis Winston's his rookie year, and so he like he doesn't know who I am. So, and he's counting on you. He's counting on me. It's his second game. To carry ever. the load. Yeah. yeah. 
and he's like, okay, I don't know like who this guy is. Like I know he's been like kind of a veteran. He's played a little bit. So he's like, kind of give me some encouragement. I was like, I got this, you know, like I got this. I went in there and I like balled out and I ended up playing and starting the next two years, 30 games in a row, made all my incentives awesome. and it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because you know, Atlanta, in Atlanta, I was always scratching and clawing. I always felt like I was replaceable. I was never really a core group of the guys. I was always like an outsider trying to fit in. And when I went to Tampa, I had this opportunity at a fresh start. And the first week I was there, before anybody really got an impression of who I was, I went in there and I like was a leader and I like stepped up and everybody like looked at me like, dang, who is this guy that just came in here and just balled out and like took over? And like I just really got this newfound respect. And it was a younger locker room, younger team. I mean, they had a lot of young first round picks, a lot of young talent. Like Mike Evans was in his second year, Jameis was rookie. They had a couple rookie linemen. So I came in there and I really had an opportunity to kind of mold these younger guys. And, you know, you you can look at it just in life. Like when something bad happens, you lose your job or you, you know, break up with a long-term relationship and you, you can look at it like if something's happening to you or you can look at it the universe is trying to prepare you for something that's better. And so instead of – and I've always had that kind of attitude and I'm like, no, something's good's going to come out of this. And, you know, when I'm sitting there kind of emotional and, you know, after you get cut and fired, it doesn't feel good. You know, you feel like you're not worth anything. And, you know, just even a few weeks later and realizing like, dang, like this is all happening for me, ended up playing and it was the best thing that ever happened to me going to Tampa and having that kind of fresh start and playing a few more years uh, under, you know, a new team. And getting to become really who you thought you were all along. Exactly. That other people just couldn't recognize in you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, as you know, in, in the NFL, first impressions are hard to break. Yes. Um, you know, you only have yeah, so, so you many come in, no practice, don't know anything, and <laughs> and at a critical moment, you're in, Joe. Yeah, you're and in. you just grab it and seize it, and 30 games later. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was amazing. So people always ask, right? And I'm sure you've been asked a million times, and people ask me, do you miss it? And I'm like, no, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't miss a whole lot about it. And, and then kind of the common thing, too, and if this is yours, that's awesome, it's like, what do you miss about it? Everyone always says the locker room. I didn't personally, I don't miss the locker room itself. I miss the meetings. I miss mm. the meeting room. I miss working towards a common goal mm. with a lot of urgency because I feel like regular life doesn't have necessarily that urgency mm. over like 16 week or 20 weeks with training camp thrown in there. I don't feel like there's quite the urgency. Like it's a really escalated timeline. And, sure. I, and I like that, that forced you to get out of bed when you were hurting and yeah. forced you to push beyond what you thought. And I think it, it, great, it was a great conduit to learn more about myself and to become better and more capable and in a lot of aspects. And then I guess the other thing I miss would be like the uh, the meal with the O-line on Friday night before a game in an away yeah. city. I always thought that was just super special. So I miss those several things. Do you miss anything about it? I don't miss a lot, just like you. And I think a lot of people are surprised by that, that yeah. haven't played. And it's like, no, there's a lot that goes into it. And it's hard. Like, it's I enjoy hard. my freedom right now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, playing O-line, like you're saying, there's there's something to it. Like, we were talking about Flow State earlier, too. There's, like, this, as an O-line group, playing with five guys and having to be on the same page and, like, being connected into this group flow. You know, it's like I read a book, I think, Stealing Fire. They talk about the Navy oh, SEALs yeah. going into group group. It's a great book. Yeah, great book. And I, I was connecting it um, recently, actually, and I was like, dang, like that's kind of how the O-line works, right? Like we had to trust each other and work together as like a unit. 
and the best units were the ones that were more successful, even though even the pieces individually might not be the best or the highest paid or the physically fit. But if you bring five guys together that really bond and can flow together, like that's really important. And I'm like you, I miss, I miss not necessarily the locker room, but I miss the camaraderie with the guys and having that community of guys of shared experience yes. and going through tough times together and going to war together. You know, like I, some of my closest buddies that I can call like, you know, if we had a normal job or we like grew up together, like we probably wouldn't be friends, you know, like we're True. just from different backgrounds and I can call him or a few guys and know like we went to war together and like in our deepest, darkest time when our bodies are hurting and we're in the game and the game's on the line and we all dig deeper for each other and pull out just a little bit more, not just because we want to be successful, but because we want our other guys and our team to be successful. Like that is something that you bonds you more than like anything. And I'm sure military guys. And it's unspoken. It's unspoken. I know when I look in your eyes, brother, you're going to be there for me. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen the dog in you come out and be like, I got you Yeah, to fight for me when I was in a vulnerable position or whatever happened. Uh. Yeah. You were there for me. That's, Super special. And that's hard to find. That's hard to and find. I, I there's not a lot of experiences that you get to experience that with people, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of us navigate life with these masks on, trying to put our best foot forward. But when you're, like, just totally beat to shit. Oh, it's wrong. In training camp, and you're like, I don't want to be here. And it's like, you know, and you're, like, encouraging each other. Like, hey, I don't want to be here, but, like, we got to do this. And it's like, you just, you get vulnerable, and you share, and you're like, help each other out. Like, yeah, that's super powerful. Um, what else do I miss? I miss being that good at something yeah and like i don't think i really connected that until now that i'm done looking back on my career and you know the odds you know they talk about a percent of a percent that make it and then to play longer than the average is three years i know you had a really long career as well and like looking back on it now because when you're in the grind it's like okay like how am i going to get through this day how am i going to get to the next game how am i going to get to the next season you know especially me early on like i'm trying to fight and claw my way into the starting role and looking back on it now and it's like dang like, I'm so proud of myself. Like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I miss, like, I, I got a PhD in football, right? And, nice. like, I was one of the best. Like, there's not a lot of people in this world that, like, I'm sure we can talk X's and O's right now and, like, oh, yeah. get each other. But there's not a lot of people I can sit down with that know people the People have game. no idea what was going on. There's not a lot of people that know the game better than me. They'd be lost in that conversation. Exactly. Yeah, and that, it's funny. Like, that's why I don't even like watching football with people because they're like, Oh, this, that, that. I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. Like, just stop. Like, you have no idea. It's, I don't even want to get in that conversation. It's not even worth it. Right? Don't you wish you would have had that perspective, though, while you were playing? Yeah. And and I know, like, at times you're like, damn, I'm really good at this. But mm. how lucky am I yeah. to have the opportunity to be this good at something? Yeah, I think towards the end of my career, I started connecting with that a little bit more. And when it start, I knew it was starting to come to an end. And, like, I'm I'm kind of a rare case. I know – um, you kind of walked away on your own terms, right? Yes. That's a very rare yeah, thing. More or less, yeah. Yeah, and most I didn't people want to keep going. Yeah, most people's taken from them, right? Before they, they they feel like they have more to give to the game. Yeah. And I played that out. Like I feel like I gave the game everything I had. And so when it was coming to an end, I was I bringing more gratitude to it and trying to enjoy. Especially my last year, I was sitting there like really trying to soak it in because I knew it was my last year. And I remember just seeing like during practice, like seeing Mike Evans go up. Like, he's such a freak athlete. I oh know you've goodness. played with some freak athletes. And it just 
it's crazy because everybody's normal guys when you're there and you're like with the best in the world, but you're one of them. So you're just like, no, like I'm. Oh like, yeah, we're just dudes. Normal. Yeah, yeah, we're just dudes. We're just guys. Here. And like seeing Mike Evans go up on like a deep pass, one handed catch in practice, like toe tap, boom. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, did anybody else see that? Everybody's just like, oh yeah, it's just another. Day. Oh, like, that's oh. Mike. You're like, oh, that's Mike. I'm that's like, like, oh yeah, like I'm with the best athletes in the world, and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, damn, like I'm here, like I'm one of these. And, like, it's just – it blows your mind. Like, yeah. what am I doing here with these people? Like, these guys are freaking amazing and good. And then just connecting with, like, damn, like, I'm that good. And, like, it feels good being that good at something. It does. And I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of players struggle with going – transitioning into the real world is, like, what else can I be that good at something? You know? And it's, like, you put so much time and effort and – it's a skill. We weren't, like, and you had a lot of help to get there, A lot too. of help, like, a lot of coaching. So many things were taken off of your plate so you could focus on that one task, being yeah. that good at it. And then you come into the real world, and everything's kind of put back onto your plate. So you have to learn how it's to – a little overwhelming. The, the, the basics of life, yeah. you have to learn how to deal with those. Yeah. I mean, think about that. We'd show up. There would be breakfast for us. There would be a program written for us to work out. There would be meetings set aside. Every 15 minutes yeah. was programmed. All you had to do – Show up. show up and give effort. Yeah. So it was super hard, but in a sense, it was also fairly easy. Yeah. I mean, it, the roadmap was was paid for. Yeah. Like you knew if you wanted like how to be successful and how to be the best you could be, you knew exactly what you had to do. Right. And probably most of the guys from really early on in childhood, things they saw, people saw that they were really good, and it's a bit of that self fulfilling prophecy. It's like, let uh, me help you out. Yeah. I'm going to help you get better. Bubble wrap you a little bit. Yeah. Like, let's, get you like let's focus take, on this. Yes. Let's take care of you. We'll get you a tutor for your academics. Let's really focus on the athletic yeah. part of it. Were you? I, I I tell people this, and people look at me like I'm crazy. I was scared. Like, it was a scary – football was scary for me mm. because I walked on in college, so I didn't have all of that time really spent playing the game. Mm. So when I got to the NFL, I was like a, a wild dog out on the field because wow. more or less I was scared. Yeah. And I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I was going to be strong enough or fast enough mm. or mean enough or – you know, just in general, tough enough. How so, long did like, it take you to connect with oh God. knowing that you belong there? Till like year nine. <laughs> it took me forever. Uh, I just shit. felt like I was just out there going buck wild uh, all the time because I was terrified. I mean, I threw up every game up until the very final year of my career. Wow. And it was that's I, interesting. I was yeah. like nervous, anxious. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get the job done. Like every single week, it was that same cycle yeah. of, of fear. And yeah. so I guess I'm I'm happy that's behind me. Yeah, that's intense. Part of, <laughs> yeah, part of it's like, oh, good. I don't. Nobody's going to be trying to rip my head off. I know. And it's like now you get to navigate the real world. Like so, like people ask me, like, how are you so happy and like grateful? And like it's just because I don't have to do all that shit anymore. <laughs> like honestly, like that shit was so hard. Oh, it's so funny. But, like this feeling, this freedom. Like it. I mean, as much as we decided to do that, when you're in it, it does feel like it's. You know, it's like you have to be there. You have to do it. Like you can't oh, yeah. just throw this opportunity away. Like you have, it's it's a weird dynamic for yeah. sure. Oh, there's no sick days. Yeah. Or there's no like, hey, I don't feel no good Christmas, you no know, Thanksgiving. You just showing up and practicing. Right. Or hey, how about you getting? They're trying to cut you on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, like, just oh, some like, cold blooded stuff right savage. there. I mean, gee, many Christmas. Yeah. So at the end, you just you felt like you gave everything you had, and then it's time to move on. What what went into the decision to get out? Oh, I had a crazy story. Um, I knew my seventh year, I was going into free agency again because I signed a two-year deal. I was out my fifth year. So sixth and seventh year played out, and I was kind of prepared to retire after that. 
And but since I had played well, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm gonna test the market. I'm not if they give me some stupid money, I'm gonna go ahead and play another Take year. It, yeah. yeah, right. So I'm gonna test the market. And I remember having one bad play Sunday night football. Towards the end of my seventh year, I started getting contract extension talks from Tampa. And I was like, oh, this is this is dope. Like I finally made like that's 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 something I've never had before. Right. Like they really value me. And so my agent's like, Yeah, they're starting to talk, and I'm like, awesome. And so we went into Sunday night football like three weeks left and playing the Cowboys in Jerry World, and I can trace this all the way back to one play. This nose tackle, they brought a field pressure. Nose tackle crosses my face, knocks my it? off. Jay Ratliff? I, it must have been. I, I can't remember his name. But he crossed my face, knocked my snap hand off, my offhand, and he totally, like, just so vulnerable, he was right by me. Yeah. End up sack fumbling Jameis. They recover. We end up losing the game. And it was just, like, probably the worst play of the whole year. But that's the thing I know you connect with as an offensive lineman. You can be killing a guy for 60 plays in the game and yeah. you have one bad mistake where my hand was out of position and he was pressuring across and just lose the game pretty much for your team or look silly. And that after that play, after that game, there was no more contract extension talks. They're like, hey, we're, you know, we saw Joe had like a rough game. It was one play. It was a one. rough game. It was one play. One play. And since it was on national TV, like that you know, heightens it too because everybody sees it. The media sees it. And so, like, we're just going to let Joe focus on the rest of the year. We're not going to – we're going to kind of table the talks till after the season. I'm like, okay, that's, that's legit. I get it. So then all offseason, no contract talks until free agency starts. And I had a certain number in my mind. I was like, I'll play if I reach this number. If I don't, I'm not going to hit it. Oh, cool. And my agent calls me. He's like, hey, this is the contract. This is what you got. There's no other teams interested in you. Like, what do you think? And I was like, it's not enough money. I'm not going to play. And he's like, Joe, no. Like, I'm not bluffing. Like, there's, not, there's no more money on the table. This is it. And I'm like, yeah. Like, good. I'm good. not bluffing I'm either. done. Like, <laughs> On to the next one. Like, let's go. And he was, like, really, like, not on my side. It was, like, really frustrating for me. I was like, dude, you're not understanding. He's like, well, at least take the night to think about it. Don't make any rash decisions. I was like, I've been thinking about this for the past six months, bro. But, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take the night to listen to myself and think about it. I'll let you know in the morning. And I guess they were printing up the contract already because he was like, yeah, like, you know, let's get it ready to sign. And so the thing was going up and the social media person saw the contract printed up. So they released on Instagram or whatever, on Twitter, like Joe Hawley signs two-year deal with Tampa Bay. So then Dirk Cutter, the head coach, gives me a call like 20 minutes later. He's like, Joe, I just saw that you signed back. Like, congratulations, man. We're really happy to have you. And I was like, oh, coach. I was like, it wasn't enough money, man. Like, I didn't sign it. And it was like really awkward. And he's like a super cool dude and he like gets it. He's like, okay. And he's like separate from the contract talks. So he's like, okay. He's like, it's all good. Like, you know, let me know what they say. Like talk to Jason, the GM at the time. And, you know, I hope you guys work it out because we really like to have you. And I was like, okay, cool. So I called back my agent. I was like, hey, like cat's kind of out of the bag. I just told the head coach that it wasn't enough money. And he's like, Joe, what, you know, what the heck? Like, why'd you do that? I was like, dude, he called. Like, I'm not going to lie to him. Like, I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to tell you. I was like, it's not enough money. You give me more money. I'm not playing. And so he's like, oh, and so, um, he calls me back like 20 minutes later. He's like, hey, talk to the GM. They pulled the deal. Like, I hope you're happy. Like, you know, it's done. And he was like all upset, you know. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, Good. I, I'm prepared for this. I'm not bluffing, bro. <laughs> and so I get it. Like, I go through. I'm like kind of trying to process because it is like kind of a thing, you know, a big decision. And I was like, what? Did I make the right decision? This, that. I'm like, it's all Huge good. decision. Right. How much money did you leave on the table there if you, um, were, if you were to say no? Like two and a half million. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so it's a lot, a big, big it's number. It's a lot, but it's also, you made the decision that my body and this year and my time yeah. is worth more than that. Yeah, totally. And I, Good for I, you. I, I, you know, go back to that one pivotal point when I um, almost got cut in Atlanta and I was like, you know what? Nobody else is going to stand up for me. I, I'm going to stand up for myself. And this is, you know, even, even my, your agent, even my time. agent, like you don't believe it. He didn't even believe me. And that was when I felt really alone. But I was like, I got to stand up for myself. Yeah. Like even if my agent's not going to. So I get a text later that night. 
it's the GM. And he says, hey, Joe, like, can you take the night to think about it? And like, at that point, there was like a little bit of hope. I was like, okay. Like, obviously, they want me. <laughs> You're like, you too. Yeah, I was like, I, I kind of got them here. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I'll think about it. I'll call you in the morning. I was like, okay. And so I was like preparing. And like, this is a tough phone call to make. Like, I'm calling the general manager of a National Football League franchise to stand up for myself. So and now you're being your agent. Yeah. And I was like, I need to stand up for myself. Obviously, my agent's doing all the numbers. And like, I just, as an undersized lineman who, you know, I'm very, like, you look at film, like, I'm very average. I play my ass off. That's part of the reason I played so long. I play hard. I'm like really scrappy. Smart, good smart. leader. Get but everybody these are the in the right things that spots. don't show up on the, on, right. on the film, right? That I'm a good leader. I, when when the coach game plans and the young guys are confused and they they they're, they're scared to ask the coach like what is this I take them to the side and I say hey like this is how we're doing it I'm gonna call this don't really worry about like what the coach and I get everyone on the same page un- yeah. behind the scenes and That's I right. there's all these things that go into it that you know it doesn't go into the contract talks between the agent and the GM and so I call the GM and I'm like yo listen and I'm like I man up and I just lay it out for him I'm like this is what I bring to the table I was like you know when coaches confuses everybody and like I'm the only one who really knows what he's talking about I like get everybody to the side I'm like hey this is what he means this is and like I'm a good leader like when everybody's out there and coaches aren't even out there and everybody's like dog ass tired I'm the one picking them up and they're like let's go like Jameis trusts me more than any other guy on the team because I'm the one making the calls and there's a trust there yes and so I'm doing all these things I say all these things I end up getting myself like a considerable amount more money and I end up calling my agent back and I'm like yo dude like I ended up getting myself more. Like you said, there's no more money on the table. I was like, then, like, why am I paying you? Like, why? why? Did you fire him? I was going to fire him, but then I was. Ta- I told my GM, like, after the conversation, he's like, let me talk to the owners. I'm going to try to get you more money. And he talked to him. He came back. He's like, yeah, I can get you some more money. And I was like, all right. And I was like, I want to fire my agent. I was like, I can't believe, like, this is not how it's supposed to work. And he's like, yeah, but if you fire him, there's going to be this 10-day waiting period. And there's, like, this legal thing about this, that. And I'm like, okay. So I ended up calling my agent back, and I, like, kind of dug in his ass a little bit. And I was like, dude, like, I don't – like, I shouldn't have to pay you for this. And we ended up talking out where I ended up not paying him any commission on the money that I made for myself. I Good. just paid him on the commission that um, he was got to me. So over the top. Oh, anything yeah. over the what, top what that I got myself, I didn't have to pay commission on. And um, end up playing that final year. And it's crazy because I went through – into training camp and had to compete again for my starting job <laughs> and i lost to a young guy because they wanted to groom him at center and so basically like i didn't know this at the time when i was the reason they didn't want to offer me a lot of money because they wanted to bring me in as one of the veteran backups to kind of groom this younger guy right and so when i kind of like connected with that role i was like okay so i basically spent my whole eighth year not even dressing i was the guy on the sidelines um you know just supporting the guys and at that point i realized like, you know, when you're on the sideline and you have this fire, like, I want to I should be in there contributing and being the guy and, like, competing. And I was on the sideline and I was totally content. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm not – this isn't for me anymore because, like, I don't have the fire anymore. Like, I don't want to be out there. Like, I'm totally happy being on the sideline supporting. Like, I just don't have that desire to put my body through that and compete anymore. And I love being around the guys and supporting and I love that role. And it's very interesting because with about, like, week 12 or 13, like, I know at this time this year I'm going to retire. Because, like, all this stuff that happened. And so I'm trying to stay in shape just in case something happens. But then, like, there's, like, four or five weeks left. So I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to make it. You know, I don't, you know, start losing a little weight. And, you know, during, like we talked earlier, like, during the season, like, practices aren't, they get easier as you go on because people that are playing in the games, like, get sore and sore. And I'm not playing in the game, so I'm out of shape. I'm out of game shape. And I'm, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, I'm almost there. And then week, like, I don't know, 12 or 13, two guys go on IR. 
And so I, I go from being on the sideline, like about to ride the, the horse out into the oh, light. Oh, man. Like, all right, Joe, you're starting against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. Oh, geez. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I, like, really was nervous. That was the first time I was – because I was, like, really confident in my abilities, and I love being out there. And, like, I wasn't the biggest, strongest, but I was scrappy, and I was yeah. confident. You knew you were going to hold your own. I knew I was going to hold my own. And I, that was the first time I was like, I don't know if I'm, like – can do this because like i i'm just not in game shape like these guys have been playing all year like i don't do i still have it like i don't know like totally. and i was kind of mentally checking out and i look at it back at it now and it was the universe giving me an opportunity right so i went out there and i was so nervous ended up getting two ulcers from stress <laughs> and i was taking because my knees were so bad too i was like i need something for my knees and like take these anti-inflammatories oh, so, so i'm popping pills yeah. i'm all nervous i literally burned two ulcers in my stomach so i'm playing like sick out there and i ended up playing the last three weeks starting and i like balled out and i like locked these guys down and like i was playing really well and after my last game i remember sitting in the locker room and being like what an opportunity that was because if i would have not had an opportunity to play and i just rode out into the sunset i would have been questioning like did i walk away on my own or was it just because i couldn't do it anymore right and like having that opportunity for my last three games to go out there and really hold my own ball out and like play really well and like walk away on my own like i know it was because I'm walking away because I want to. It's not because the game is done with me. It's because I'm done with the game. And it was like such a blessing to to know that and then walk away. And it was it was really bl- a blessing. But yeah, I was really nervous at that time. God, that's incredible. Yeah. All right. So now a lot of folks know you maybe as Man Van Dog Blog. Yeah. On Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you got a channel there. From what I've read, you donated a lot of your possessions when you were leaving Tampa Bay. You bought a van. Yep. And you toured the country. Talk me through all of that. And was that correct? Yeah. So when I, my last year, uh, ended up walking away when I was done, I was, you know, it was this pr- whole process of retiring, which I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to process all this before I was done. Mo- like we said earlier, most guys, it's taken from them. They get hurt, they get cut. And all of a sudden it's like this, this brick that drops like, okay, I'm done. Like, what do I do now? Like, and then they try to get back in. So I had this long process where I got to process what was happening and even right when the season was over, I had this, like, deep, dark void. Like, physical void. I was like, whoa. Like, what is that? And, like, I, like I, like I didn't know what it was because I was ready to be done. I was excited to be done. But, like, it was just – I think it was just going into the unknown. Like, now what? Like, that's something I did the last 16 years of my life. Like, that's all I knew. I had an acute focus and goal and dream. And I lived it. And now, like, holy crap, what? And a few weeks prior, I actually went through a big breakup with my fiancé at the time. So I not only had a transition in my career – had a transition in my relationship and I just was really all of a sudden like you know you talked about the end of the season you have this like kind of lonely feeling like I was really alone and like I had no really nothing to look forward to and I had this opportunity I was like you know what like I have this freedom I don't know what I'm gonna do it's like this kind of dark cloud of unknown I was like let me go let me go experience this freedom for the first time like I've never had this freedom to go do whatever I wanted and I, I had a buddy um a friend of a friend that had done van life and I saw him like he had his van. I saw his van one time and I was like, this is pretty cool. And I started start seeing it on Instagram. I was like, you know what? Like, that'd be dope. Let me, everybody's always wanted to do like a cross country road trip. For sure. So like, let's do this. Like I, like I have this opportunity. I have some money in the bank. I have nothing but time. I'm free from, you know, a negative relationship, free from a career that took a lot from me. And now I have all this time and, and space. And so I bought a van, ended up rescuing a dog and I was just going to hit the road, and I ended up starting the blog. Honestly, I started it so that I could write off all the gas mileage. I started a little LLC. I started posting about it. <laughs> so like, if I start a blog, I can get a little tax break. 
And then, you know, I started sharing my experience and a couple like ESPN did an article and then USA Today did an article and then people started following me, not just from like the football world, but like all walks of life. And they were just telling me how inspired they were and that I like went from this big illustrious career where I had all this money to like living in a van. I gave away most of my possessions because when I was going through it, I was like, okay, what am I going to do with all this furniture? I don't want to put it in storage. This is going to cost money. And I was like, well, I'll sell it. It's like, I have some really nice furniture. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll sell it. I'll put it on like these apps. So I found an app called offer up and I was like, let me test it out. So I put a lamp on there. Right. And this lamp I put on there for $10 and then someone comes back like, I'm interested in your lamp. I'll give you four bucks. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like no, I'm about six bucks. And I'm like, well, five bucks. I'm like, okay, five bucks. So there's this back and forth and I'm like, okay, well come pick it up. And so I'm waiting around for like three or four hours for this guy to come pick up this lamp that I'm selling for five bucks. And I'm like, what am I doing? What? <laughs> like that was like four hours of my life plus like haggling with this guy over a couple bucks. Like, yeah, I don't need five this. bucks. I was just like, this is not what I needed. Like I don't have time for this. And so I was like, I need to find someone to help me. Like just, I started getting overwhelmed with like, what do I even do with all this furniture? I can't move it by myself. So I call a nonprofit in Tampa and I'm like, Hey, do you guys have movers? If you have movers, I'll give you all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up talking to uh, Metropolitan Ministries. They had some volunteers, a couple moving trucks that came and I gave all my furniture, like 70% of my closet, and it was going to help um, a family start fresh from a, a domestic violence incident. And they, the family with some kids that wanted to you know, start new. So I gave my furniture all to them. So it went to a good cause. And it was a win-win for me. I didn't have to worry about what to do with the furniture. I didn't really need the money. And it went to help a good cause. So I kind of took it off my back and then hit the road. I was only going to do it for a few months. Um, yeah, what was the initial plan? Like three to four months and just experience it, go road trips, see some cool places, and, you know, six months later, I'm just like, just getting started. I'm like, this is amazing. And like, it's consistently getting outside my comfort zone, meeting new people. People are being inspired by the message I'm sharing on my blog. So I start focusing on that. I start making the YouTube videos and end up traveling all over the country. I end up going to a lot of baseball games. I, I went to over 20 stadiums, um, out of the 30 and I probably went over 50 baseball games. Like that was my kind of sports fix, getting away from football. I didn't watch a lot of football. It was like an opportunity to kind of really get away. Do you watch ball now? No, I really don't. Still don't. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I think it was kind of this, it was really powerful, this identity shift of I wanted to be known. And even when I was playing, I always wanted to be known more than a football player. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of guys when, you know, a lot of big guys go like, what do you guys do? And everybody's like, oh, I'm a construction worker. They just don't want to talk about football because they don't want to be known for just like a football player. Because when you do tell someone like, oh, I used to play football or I play football, they like light up and they just change their whole mentality towards yeah. you. And it's like this mask that they put on over you that you don't really necessarily want. And so I always was conscious of that. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of this until like after like honestly going to the NFL Bridge to Success program, the transition program, where I kind of indirectly created a new identity for myself with this blog and like kind of ran away from football and was starting to be known for something other than football. And it really like made me feel good. And like people are like, oh yeah, you used to play football. Like, yeah, I used to play football, but this is what I'm doing now. And like that made me feel really good. And it's inspired. powerful to be able to tell people something is happening now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's people, important. It's huge. It's huge. And, um, you know, that's what I kind of realized a lot of people, a lot of guys struggle with. Um, you know, I even see some guys that, you know, they, they don't know what to do and it takes years, years. And, um, you know, after going to that, that program, the transition program that the NFL puts on, I, I did realize that I am very much still in transition and it's okay. Um, and it's, it's just a big, it's a big change. And, um, you know, I've been attending a lot of, a lot of mastermind programs, trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to figure out what I want to do next, which, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty special 
I've connected with this freedom of, you know, now that football's over, I truly believe that, it's, that my life's just getting started. And there's all this opportunity out here. And it's overwhelming for a lot of guys because you spend so much time becoming the best in the world at football. And then when you're done, and it takes a special mindset to get to that point. And when it's over, you're like, a lot of guys are like, okay, now what? Like, I'm not good at anything else. But in reality, you have all the intangible skills to be the best in the world at one of the hardest things possible. You can literally transfer that to anything. Yes. And a lot of people just don't know what that is. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is I want to do. I'm attending all these mastermind programs, these retreats, trying to learn as much as I can, grow, read, experience life. And I've realized that, you know what, that would be like after attending all these mastermind programs and these retreats and these communities of people trying to better themselves, like-minded, like, man, that'd be really dope if there was something like this for NFL players. And I started looking and trying to figure it out. And the NFL has a couple offerings, different programs, but nothing really like that, where it's like guys that really want to challenge themselves and become great at something else outside of football and make a difference in the world. And... So I started thinking, like, that would be really dope to have that. It's not there, so why not create it? And so that's kind of what I'm working on now is creating this this retreat experience mastermind program for former NFL players to connect and grow and support each other and get coaching, get high-level speakers, and learning about business, finance, um, learning about themselves, what it takes to be great, mastering themselves, and um, giving them an opportunity to take everything they learned from football in that microcosm and put it out into the world because I feel like these are high-achieving, masterful individuals that have the right mindset, but they just don't have the focused energy to put towards something. And giving them the container to do that and support each other in it, I feel like can really make a huge impact in the world and give them the opportunity to co-create. So I'm working on building that right now, and we're uh, going to offer our first retreat in March. Are you? Yeah. Awesome. Love for you to join. If, I'd like uh, to get available. my invite. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's fantastic. I also feel like the guys that you're reaching – and we were part of that is are better when they are attempting to achieve something Mm. and are better when they're trying to, or have a conduit, I guess, like football was for us that allowed us to continue to working on Mm ourselves, to continue working on ourselves. And I, for me, that is like where guys get lost and confused is when they have no focus. Mm. And it was described to me once, your NFL career is like you're in this giant corridor and there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you talked about the light at the end of the tunnel and that's mm. kind of the, the career ending. But as you're in this corridor, right, you can make decisions like, oh, do I want to eat this food or do I want to eat this food? And, but as you're walking down the corridor and you're making little decisions, you're always walking towards that light, but mm-hmm. you're bouncing off the walls as you're kind of going down this hallway. And then at, the end of the hallway when you're when the lights in your face the corridor ends and there's a massive field in front of you mm. and all of the options and all the opportunity lays out there but you have no direction yeah. and it is wildly overwhelming yes. and, it, and helping guys figure out one what they're passionate about mm. and what really stoked their fire yeah. other than just simple X's and O's and showing up and being around guys like yeah. what is it now about you you're passionate about that you can do wake up and have a sense of urgency about you to wake up at whatever time is necessary to wake up and work as long as you have to work to be able to get that done. I helping guys find that is it's, it's ambitious, but it's also, it's necessary. Yeah, it's definitely, I've talked to a lot of, uh, you know, coaches and people in the space, not just with NFL, but 
you know, that kind of space and even some NFL transition coaches. And they've told me it's a, it's a tough space to get into. And that's why nobody's doing it. And I think coming at it from an angle of like self-mastery, not self-help, right? These guys, they don't want to feel broken, right? And they're not. They're just, they just don't have the focus or the, the thing to work towards. Yeah. And so finding out that what that is and giving them the tools and a container and kind of kind of putting a corridor like back around them, like a loose corridor, like, hey, like go towards this light. Like you yeah. still have opportunity to your, – your life's just getting started. That's really. the whole thing. It's like guys are retiring at 25, 30, yeah. 35. I mean Brady is going to be what, 40? <laughs> the 50s, I don't know. Yeah. He's <laughs> what, fine. Whatever that is. But you <laughs> still have a massive amount of time to master something else. Yeah get moving anything you want and it is overwhelming but giving them the coaching the bringing in speakers and that successful guys that have transitioned like yourself like coming in and mentoring guys that maybe don't have as much direction and creating because it's hard when you're it's one thing i learned being done now and like you're kind of thrown out into the world and the community the locker room the coaching that you have Uh and like the support like you said the corridor it's all taken away and you're by yourself and it's hard for normal people to relate. They're like, it's easy for you to have money. Like, you, you you don't need to do anything. And it's so funny, like, this paradigm of people that are, like, working towards retirement. And, like, ask them, like, what are you going to do when you're 65 and you finally retire? Like, oh, I'm going to sit on the beach and do nothing. And like, okay, good luck. Okay, have fun with that. Yeah, that's going to last a week or two. And then you're going to be bored out of your mind. Yeah. And you're not going to have any purpose. Like, it's all, like, life's about purpose. It's not about getting to this arbitrary number of retirement and having nothing to do. It's about adding value and finding a purpose and giving back and being of service and creating something that's going to have an impact on the world and giving guys, you know, guys with experience that have been through it and guys that are going through it, like creating a container where, you know, there's 40, 50 guys, a hundred guys get together for a weekend and are able to share, support each other, share what they're doing, co-create, have ideas, bring in business minds, teach them about business. If they have a business idea, um, it's going to be really powerful because then you have guys that are like, oh, this guy gets it. This guy went through it. He, he knows what I'm going through. And, like, if he says something to me, I'm not really going to take it. It's credible. You know, like I went to the, the NFL transition program. And when there's a therapist up there, like, they might not they, they might know intellectually, like, what I'm going through. And they've studied it in school. But me, like, I was sitting there like, yeah, this, screw you. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what this process is like. Yeah. And nothing against them. Like, they, they do the work. But it's just not relatable. But when you get guys together that have done it and are doing it and are going through it, then there's obviously a huge range of guys. I mean, there's guys that retire with plenty of money, play 10 years, and they don't need to do anything. And it's like trying to find their purpose. And they have they can kind of play around, have a little bit more time. And then there's guys that play a year or two, don't really make that much money. And they're like, oh, crap, what do I do now? But I think having a wide range like that come together and support each other is is really powerful. And I think giving them an opportunity to create with high-achieving individuals like they are can really make an impact in the world and send ripples out. You're a real spiritual dude. Yes. Connecting with it for sure. Yeah. Learned a lot on the road. Was it? Yeah. And and what was it about the road that allowed it? Um I've always had this like innate trust in knowing that everything's gonna turn out okay. And I never really knew where that came from. And now I realize like I think it's like I just have like a wise old soul. You know, because like even when I was younger, I'd always have this like just yeah, it's all it's okay, and I've always had this happy energy. Um, but being on the road and constantly being outside my comfort zone has led to so much growth, and it's built my confidence. And you know, I was giving me an opportunity to be by myself a lot, 
and go inward and read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts. So I've just been absorbing all this information, uh, meditating a lot, being out in nature. And it's just like all just like boom, boom, constantly just absorbing all this. And like I realized a lot about, you know, my spiritual side and like what, how the universe kind of works. And I mean, I, I really like the more I learn, the more we, I realize I like don't know anything. <laughs> like it's crazy how it all works, but connecting with something higher than yourself, I think is really important part of this existence. I don't think it's all random. I mean, there's just too many synchronicities, especially something that I'm experiencing now is like, you know, when you set an intention and put your mind towards creating something and like just the right pieces fall into place. Like, what is that? The people that you meet, the, the things that, that they're willing and able to help you with that you may need help with at the yeah. right time after you just put it out there. Yeah. I mean, we're like, and I love the science of it all too. Like, I love, that's why I got into meditation, right? I didn't get into meditation because I was like, oh, I want to get all spiritual. I got into meditation because I wanted to try and heal my brain. And I wanted to be proactive with it. And they start, I mean, they're doing fMRI scans of these brains of people going into meditation and they're just lighting up. It's like, whoa, what is that? And then they can connect that with a transcendental experience and oh, I forgot what I was going to talk about brain damage. Where was it going with that? Oh, it, it was the science more than it was the spirituality that got you into it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're in these bodies, right? Made up of trillions of cells. And now they're learning about the microbiome that's all over our skin and in our stomachs. There's trillions of more cells. These are all individual living organisms. And then we kind of walk around in them with this consciousness and like most people just go through their days like it's normal. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like let me go to work and, and hustle for this piece of paper that I'm going to go use to buy a house to live in. And it's, I mean, it's just like all so wild to me. And when you start like doing the work and like meditating and like connecting with something like higher than yourself and your individuality, you're like, whoa, what is this? And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's like wildly crazy to think about. But it's almost so big it's beyond thought. It's it's, it's incomprehensible. Re it's, it's really hard, yeah. And there's just so much like you know, like our hearts beat without us doing anything. Our bodies digest. You know, there's all like ninety five percent of what our systems do is subconscious. It it's like this natural knowing of itself, this intelligence that runs everything. And we walk around like five percent conscious of what's going on, and usually a lot of people are in this like negative mindset, negative feeling about how life's going. And I've realized that it starts with you know people look outside themselves to make themselves happy. But what I'm learning is if you can find ways to make yourself happy first, then everything else around your world becomes better, and it, it's like this this loop, and if you're looking outside yourself to to find happiness and fulfillment, that's all fleeting, right? You're going to buy a new car and then it kind of wears off. You're going to buy a bigger house and it's going to feel good for a little bit and it's going to go away and you're going to get more money, but when's enough? Enough. Like, you know, in the NFL, I, I got to the point where I was making minimum, making a half million dollars. Like, dang, that's dope. I just came from college and now I'm making a half million dollars. Like, that's amazing. I'm like, whoa, but this guy's making 10 million. Or this guy's making 1.5 million. He's a backup, like, and I'm, you know, this. And then finally, I make, you know, the two million dollars. I'm like, whoa, but this guy's making like, you know, 50 million over here. Like, <laughs> and you're just like comparing yourself. And then I'm, you know, I'm finally a starter, and I'm making like millions of dollars a year. And I'm like, looking at this guy, like guy on another team, the best center in the league, is making 15 million. It's like, oh, well, now I get that. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, when's enough enough? Like, even when you get to the biggest of the big, like these, you know, CEOs making millions and millions and millions of dollars and they're not happy or fulfilled or satisfied 
And it's really like happiness is an inside job. And yes. if you can find out what makes you happy and feel grateful for what you have and you know, I like to talk about it in vibrations because like these emotions and energies are these vibrational wavelengths and like anger and selfishness and greed are all these like lower vibrational emotions. And when you can raise your vibrational internally to gratitude, to happiness, to feeling good, to love, then all of these, it's literally like the law of attraction it attracts that kind of like-minded stuff towards you. And that's where the synchronicities happen. And that's why you always hear like negative people or people that complain about their day, like bad things always happen to them for some reason, right? It's like, well, you know. They're looking for it. They're looking for it. They're almost asking for it by putting out that negative energy. I always say, be careful what you wish for. You're asking for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, And part of like the positive mindset is that through your eyes, you are taking in all the positives that are happening around you. So you see words like this would be kind of the law of attraction, right? It's like, I have never thought of this word until this moment. And then all of a sudden I see it all over the daggone place or like, it's like when you buy a Jeep and you've never seen Jeeps and now you see Jeeps everywhere. Totally. I named my kid Hudson and I don't expect anybody to have a child named Hudson. Then all all of a sudden everybody's name is Hudson out there, right? It's kind of the same thing. It's like positivity and negativity. When you, put that into your space that's what you see and that's what ends up being in your life it's your yeah. it's your lens that you're looking at the yeah. world through where where can people get what would you recommended a great book to me yes ishmael oh did you read it i read it what do yeah. you think it's a great book oh, yeah, i mean you want to talk about like a, a great way to kind of see the world shift your perspective on like global like the way we are and who we are yeah, yeah and what kind of person you are and, and where you evolved from what yeah and what you're doing to the planet uh, or what you're yeah. there's layers to that book the it's a paradigm shifting book for me it's super good yeah any other book so that one was ishmael highly mm. recommended i think it's dan quinn daniel quinn wrote yeah. that one i actually yes. got his next book the story of b yeah is kind not of not as a, good it's not as good not, not as good it, okay. and it talks about con- similar story not as good okay so, dang it yeah i mean it's it's, it's, right. it's like the same kind of storyline but it's just not a lot of new substance i thought it'd be like a whole new story See, so you kind of that's got, where we're going yeah yeah okay. same so i was he, like excited to read it so i read it and i was like okay it's just like oh you know, so he thing. got me at the end I'm so excited for the next one because this book was so good. But that, I mean, it's and he talks about it, and he's like, yeah. a lot of people say this one's better than Israel, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I okay, got to buy nah, this one. So I finished actually, I finished last night with Ishmael, and then I'm laying in bed and I bought that book immediately. Well, like, you can oh, read it. It's I, just like an extension oh, of Ishmael. It's such an easy read. Yeah, it I is. mean, it's a great conversation. Any other books you recommend? Oh, because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on this book path. I want to join your book club. Th- yeah, I need to start one. I have on my website actually a bunch of books that I would recommend um, at manvandogblog.com. Cool. Uh, there's a book page, but I think for you know meditation, one book that really got me introed into it was Ten Percent Happier by Dan Harris. Um, because I loved the way he talked about meditation, and it wasn't from the spiritual like woo woo kind of feel. I mean, he um, tells his personal story where he was a um, reporter, like a war reporter with like high adrenaline, like reporting within like gunfights and stuff. And then when you come back, he like missed that adrenaline. So he got into like drugs and he's very open about it. And he had a panic attack on TV. He's a a host on NBC or something. And he had this panic attack and you can actually go look at it on YouTube. And so he started um, meditating and he talks about his, you know, sticking with meditation and how kind of like what we talked about. It's a hard practice to stick with. And since he kind of explained going through, it's like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. It kind of gave me like 
some support and like, okay, like it's not just me. I'm not alone. My mind's crazy, but it, it's going to get benefits. And at the end he talks about, he's like, I'm not saying it's going to solve your problems or anything. All I'm saying is it's going to make you 10% happier. And it's like, just so honest. It's like, that's, it's just a subtle, like it's shift a piece in perspective. Of it. It's just a piece. It's, it's a, a piece tool. of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Totally. Um, I think the power of now by Eckhart Tolle is really yes. good. Oh, um, by the way, Oprah has a really good, 10-part series on her podcast, Super Soul Conversations with Eckhart. Oh, nice. And it breaks it apart in chapters, The Power of Now, and he's oh. speaking on the chapter. So wow, that's, that's, that's a really, powerful. really good one to get into. So I, I read that a long time ago, and I then I got to revisit it with Oprah. Which and he, him. He does such a great job. Yeah. And him. Yeah, that's amazing. And and just listening to those two kind of toss conversations kind of way. Just Our so, podcast amazing. Podcasts are amazing. Yeah, I'm glad you started one. This is pretty sweet. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah I re- I feel like I, we could talk for hours. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. So before I and and you got to come back because I know you totally. you make trips two or three times. You four make, times. We'll yeah, this. you can be a regular. Uh, places people need to visit. Oh, in some, this country, some of your favorite spots in this country. Yeah. So the one thing about this country, it's so diversely beautiful and. We have one of the best national park systems in the world. I think there's like I think forty percent public land, and a lot of people like live in cities and they get caught up like we're ruining the like the environment, like we're taking over, like building all this stuff. Like, you know, most people are a few hours from like a very beautiful national like scenic place, and you know I love it because there's there's beautiful mountains, there's beaches, there's deserts, there's rolling hills, there's all these different, there's big mountain tops. Like there's just so much in this country right in our own backyard and people don't ever go experience it, right? Um, I'm a big desert guy. I really loved the Grand Canyon. And it's wild because I lived in Vegas. I went to school in Vegas and it's like a few hours from Vegas and I never went. And I flew over it a couple times. When you fly into Vegas, you fly yeah. over the Grand Canyon. Look like, out oh, over your cool. left side here. Uh, oh, yeah. the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. But there's nothing like when you pull up to the Grand Canyon for the first time and walk and look out. It's just the most awe-inspiring thing. Like you don't think that something created all of this. Like that is a piece of artwork, and it's just so hard to comprehend. Because when you're driving up to it, it's really flat. There's kind of like forest trees, and it's there's nothing really going on. It's like you know, what were we, what we driving to? And then all of a sudden, there's just this massive hole in the ground. You're like, where did this come from? And it just blows your mind. Um, another place that I really like had a great experience and it was just like the, the kind of the story of how I got there was the Grand Tetons outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Cool. Very beautiful there. Um, I really had a good time visiting the cities. Um, I had a really good time in New York City and then going there. I was only going to spend like a couple of days there. I ended up spending eight days going into Manhattan. My buddy lived in Staten Island. So I, he's like, yeah, come park my, your van in, in my driveway and you can explore. So I'd park my van in his driveway and I'd go take the Staten Island ferry into the city and I was only going to stay for a couple of days and I ended up realizing how many people I knew and that's a great thing about traveling with like this day and age when we have such connectivity and like the blog like I would post like I'm in New York City and people started reaching out like people I knew it's like oh I live in New York or I'm going to be in New York and so I ended up staying there and connecting with people I haven't seen in a while and like new people and like going and hanging out here and like I, my cousin worked at Facebook and in New York I didn't even know that and he's like oh I'm in so he showed me like Instagram where he works cool. like all this stuff and yeah, it's been crazy. Acadia National Park's beautiful up in uh, the northeastern tip North of the East, country. Yeah. Um, yeah, what an experience. And I feel like I barely scratched the surface. And do you got to keep going in the van? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really putting um, a lot of my energy and effort in creating this program for former, yeah. former players. I think there's a lot of value there. I think a lot of people will really benefit from it. And, you know, birthing an idea and creating an idea um, – 
as ambitious as this is it takes a lot of work. So I'm, I'm, fo- I'm in Austin right now, uh, for the next few months, going to get this up and running first retreats in March. And hopefully we'll start launching them a few months apart after that. And, um, love for you to be a part of it. Sign me up, but definitely like the experience, like I am addicted to getting outside my comfort zone, experiencing new things and continuing to grow. Like I think, you know, talk about meditation, you know, one of the parts of, helping heal the brain is it creates new neural pathways, new neural connections, which helps your brain grow. Like there's science, there's pictures of it happening, people healing their brains, like holes in their brains. And all of a sudden it's growing back. And part of creating new neural pathways is experiencing new things, novel experiences. And I think that's part of the reason that being on the road led to so much growth for me is because I was constantly getting outside my comfort zone, going into the unknown, a place I'm not familiar with meeting new people and putting myself in those situations creates new neural pathways in my brain and along with meditation, along with like journaling and writing and like all these tools creates, literally grows your brain. And I can like feel myself more connected, like my intelligence is up, uh, learning a lot, connecting with people. So I'm definitely never going to stop exploring and it's just getting started. Time to hit the road, people. Oh, yeah. Joe Holly, thank you, buddy. Thanks, brother. Fantastic. Hey, guys, welcome to Nick's Nuggets, where I get to give some of my biggest takeaways from the podcast with Joe Hawley. I loved it. I hope you got a lot out of his story. I know I did. My wife, Jamie, got to meet Joe when we were done with the podcast because we do it a lot of times if we can at home at the kitchen table. It's just really a comforting place, and it's always so nice to have people in your home. And the first thing she said when he left the house was, he has really kind eyes. And I, I think you can hear that kind and care in Joe's words and how he views the world. He's got a real inherent wisdom about him that allows those around him to feel calm in his presence. As you heard, we became good friends in a hurry, and I just feel like I found a kindred spirit. I love Joe Hawley. It really amazes me every time I hear someone's story who played in the NFL, how many different experiences you can have in a career. It's really easy to get lost in your own career and the trials and tribulations and assume that everyone's kind of had or is having a similar experience to you, but that's not true. Listening to Joe's fight for his career, it really inspired me of the work that it takes to find success regardless of whatever profession you're in. Success is hard damn work, man. Anybody who thinks there are shortcuts to success, you are kidding yourselves. So here we go. A little bit. One thing Joe talked about a lot was be present. Did you notice how many times in different areas of the conversation that Joe mentioned being present in the moment rather than getting lost and potentially dwelling on the past or having anxiety about the future and the myriad of potential outcomes? Control what you can control, and that is right now in this moment. If I'm to put words into Joe's mouth, I don't think he's saying live recklessly. Have a plan. Think about where you want to get to or at least in the vector that you want to be in. That's the plan, but once that plan is kind of in place loosely, focus on executing the day, the hour, the minute, and even all the way down to the moment. And more so than just in your career, it comes to our relationships. How many times do we really give our significant others, our friends, our business partners, our kids, everything that we have in that present moment, rather than worrying about what we still have left to do on our checklist for the day, Focus on intensely, given our relationships, the time, effort, and focus that they really deserve because what else matters? 
And another thing, a big takeaway from Joe, don't blame others. This is one of the core leadership traits that I look for in other people. In bad times, do you find a way to share the blame? And in good times, do you hog all the fame? That's a bad leader. Leaders, really good leaders, I feel like most successful people, find a way to take as much of the blame for failures organizationally as they possibly can. And conversely, they share as much of the fame and the success as they possibly can. In Joe's words, you can look at it like something is happening to you or the universe is preparing you for something better. So a little story of mine in 2009, week one in Oakland, Monday night football, I tore multiple ligaments in my ankle on a play. It wasn't even a play because it was a delay, a game penalty. Some of you may remember I was locked up with Oakland nose guard Gerard Warren at the line of scrimmage. The whistle blew the play dead. It was deafening loud in the black hole. Trevor Scott, their defensive end at the time, didn't hear the whistle blow. He tried to sack Rivers, who shrugged him off, and then Trevor helicoptered into my leg. Ended up, my foot was facing backwards, and I was laying on my back with Gerard on top of me. And I remember looking at Gerard in the face mask and going, I just broke my ankle. Well, it turns out I didn't break my ankle, but I did tear multiple ligaments, and I needed surgery to repair the deltoid on the inside of the ankle and a ruptured syndesmosis, which holds your tibia and fibula together. Not a good feeling. And so a plate, two screws, and two wires later, I was in recovery and was super bummed that I couldn't be on the field again after having missed four games in 2008 due to a Liz Frank repair that was in my right foot. But as I was kind of going through this little post-surgery depression, which I think is very common, I had a wise man tell me, he it put it all into perspective and it really put me at ease. He said, the universe is protecting you from something worse happening meaning, I don't know, I could have broken a neck, I could have had more concussions, I don't know what could have happened, or for something better coming down the line. People, there's always a bright side to something. You've got to look really hard for that bright side, but I bet it could most likely be worse than the situation that you find yourself. So when you find that bright side, grab onto it and write it out until you find your way out of that setback that you perceived earlier. Another thing that Joe kind of talked about, live with the potential of regret in mind. So he's talking about the meeting with his head coach and his GM in, in Atlanta on Christmas Eve. This is just so cold-blooded. He ended up getting cut, didn't ever want to feel like that ever again. So from that day forth, he ended up working so he didn't have to live with any regret that he didn't do everything in his power to have the career that he wanted to have. I love this thought process. I used to prepare for games and seasons with this mentality. When you're tired at the end of a long day or didn't want to wake up at 4.15 a.m. to get in, to lift weights, and watch more film as those seasons went along, I always thought about worst-case scenario. I thought about giving up that critical sack at the wrong time of the game, at the end of the game, because I was unwilling to put in that extra time watching film so I didn't know what was coming or – I didn't want to take care of my body in the weight room and with all the recovery necessary. But to me, I couldn't live with the regret knowing that I could have done more to prepare myself for the opportunity that was going to be coming around the corner and I chose to sleep in or not watch that little extra film. I knew that I would have felt worse for having not done the extra work. It takes a little bit more thought, just a tiny bit more, in a way is a touch contrary to living in the now but in my opinion, it magnifies the urgency of the now. Think of the regret until you can feel it like deep down in your core of your body. Harness that feeling. Harness that regret. And that let allow it to create that urgency. And then put that feeling, put that energy to work for you. Another thing that really stood out about Joe 
where he was talking about standing up for yourself, speak your truth. When he's in there with the coaches and his career's on the line, how many people could have had the wherewithal at that moment to come up with a question that was so poignant and it really shifted the thought paradigm on his coach and his GM and it really gave him another opportunity to prove his worth. And it kind of comes back to what Brian McKenzie said on the podcast a couple of months ago. You act like a prey, you get treated like a prey. So Joe went in there with conviction, and he said, I know I'm the better man. I'm a better center than that guy that you've brought in, and I want you to think about the circumstances that are making that guy look good. And this you, you oftentimes don't want to throw somebody else under the bus, but if it's your career or their career, and this is your last straw with the organization, you might as well throw it out there on the line. So I love, and I can't think of how many people would be willing to do this. I don't know if I would have had the moxie or the gall to the wherewithal to be able to do this and to really flip that on its head. So for me, that is awesome for Joe. Take charge of your situation is what Joe's telling you. Speak your truth. So with all that, I really want to challenge you. Joe dropped so many live-by moments in there. Choose one and put it to work for a day or a week. How about begin a daily meditation practice? There's so many apps out there. I've done Headspace before. I liked it. But now I really connect with the Waking Up course at Sam Harris. I just like the way he speaks and teaches what meditation is. I just connect with that. Uh, When you catch yourself taking the negative slant on a situation, fight like hell to find that positive side. Maybe a setback is an opportunity to prove your resilience or to show that you've got better at being patient or respectful of others, or you can find a way to speak and connect with an individual that's kind of outside of your comfort zone. I know it's hard as hell sometimes to find that bright side, but go for it. And how about this? How about not complaining for a week? See if you can make it even a day without a complaint. Think about where you want to wind up on your journey. This is kind of speaks to the regret. And think of all the work that it's going to take to get there. And then think about that regret that you're going to have if you don't achieve your goals but you didn't do the work to achieve those goals. Remind yourself when that alarm goes off in the morning, how you're going to feel knowing that you didn't get there to where you wanted to be because you weren't willing to wake up because you weren't willing to put in the work. Are you willing to live with that regret? I know I wouldn't be. Thanks for your time guys. Oh, by the way, if you want to hear from someone on the podcast or you want to hear about a particular topic that you have a lot of questions on that are is affecting you, I bet it's affecting a lot of other people out there that are listening to this Finding Center podcast. So reach out to me in the DMs of Instagram, and I will do my best to make that happen. Until next time, here's to your Thank you for listening to the Believe Network. If you liked this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Believe.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and like us on Facebook. That's B-L-E-A-V. Do you believe?